Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. So it is an epic weekend, as I have said, and what that really means around here to us church people is that we get to learn from the gift of the evangelist. That is somebody who is energized and passionate and has a special gift and calling on their life to see people come to know Jesus and to inspire others to do so. And so I don't know about you, but I'm ready to hear from the gift of the evangelist. We're in this souls to save series because there are souls to save out there and we as a church need to have that passion to go into our world and see souls saved right we need to have that passion within us and so I hope that you catch a little bit of that passion this weekend I've said it in other services I hope you're taking notes I hope you're checking my notes on the app check back occasionally and refresh your screen and see all the notes that I've taken as well lean in this weekend. Catch a little bit of that passion. Go home with something from God today. Don't miss it, right? Come expecting what God is going to do in your life. And so would you all join me in welcoming evangelist and pastor Tim Bennett. It is good to be in Freedom Valley, isn't it? Man, we serve a good God. I want to thank you. I saw so many hands. You all have been here for three services. If this is your first one, welcome. Nice to see you. My name's Tim. Been here a few times before. And so I'd love to, if I haven't got to personally meet you, please make sure if I don't get to you at some point this weekend, I'd love to be able to meet you, shake your hand and all that. And I enjoy getting to meet different people in different places. And uh, Gettysburg, Freedom Valley in particular, is one of our favorite places. We've learned quickly over the last couple of years as the Lord has allowed us to kind of get connected here uh, with you guys and of course your pastor and, and uh, her family. We, we love this place and so we're thankful for the opportunity to be here today. So we don't take it lightly and do want to say a big thank you. Thank you for having us and we, we do appreciate it very much and I don't know if you all realize this or not but there's a lot that kind of goes into weekends like this. All the things that have happened back even in the kids ministry uh, where they're you know, working out super, superhero stuff and all that kind of stuff and so that, that's pretty cool and all the work that goes into that and the things that will even happen in tonight. And so I want to thank you. Thank you. I don't know if you realize this or not either, but, you know, you put us up in a hotel room for a couple of nights. That's, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I got news for you. It's a big deal to us, you know, that, that you invest into us, into us personally and in our family, that we can find a place just to chill out and rest for a little bit. And we didn't even mind that family that we had to share it with. They were great people. Uh, their pet llama only bit my little girl one time. So it, it was cool. We, she got used to it after a bit. And, and uh, that, that, I'm sure that finger will grow back. So, so uh, but uh, this afternoon, uh, see, it's this afternoon. I've got three minutes, so I can say this afternoon. Uh, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2, this is all, one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. I love preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to share why in just a little bit. But um, I do want to make sure I invite you out tonight at 6 o'clock. Now, maybe you're not used to coming to church again on a Sunday evening. Uh, maybe you're, uh, you know, you, listen, uh, tonight's going to be an amazing night, and I would hate for you to miss out on what God has for you personally. 
personally. There's going to be all kinds of things that God's going to do tonight. Obviously, we're praying for miracles and signs and wonders, physical healing, spiritual and, and emotional healing as well. But uh, I, I believe God's going to do something amazing in this house. And not that he's going to just meet our temporary physical needs, but I believe God is going to mobilize his church tonight in the name of Jesus. I believe uh, that, that we're going to be able to let go of things in the past and uh, maybe preconceived ideas that have held us back. And we're going to move forward in what God has for us today. Amen. So even this message right now, I'm kind of going to set us up for what the Lord wants to do tonight, and it ties in a little bit with what we talked about this morning. So Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, come on, if you got it this morning, or this evening, this afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, come on, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1 today, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, here's what God's Word says on a beautiful spring afternoon in January in Gettysburg, come on, isn't that amazing? Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1 says, once you were dead, isn't that like the worst way to start out anything? You know you were dead, you know? Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy... Sound familiar? But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Come on. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. See that? It's not about what we have done, but instead it's about what we're about to do. For we are a God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That is an amazing portion of scripture. And I quickly, I, I want to read verse 10 to you in another translation. You're going to see why. Verse 10 says this out of the Passion Translation. For we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. That's good stuff. Come on, let's pray. Father, one more time, would you release the power of your written word into our lives? Lord, in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. God, I come against every distraction. Lord, I come against the spirit of fear and confusion and doubt. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I plead your blood over every person, over every mind. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to the cause of Jesus Christ right now. Satan, the Lord rebukes you. You have no ground in this room. You have no authority in this place. This is God's house. This is holy ground. The presence of the Lord 
Lord is in this place. Light fills this room. And where there is light, the darkness of this room, the darkness of this world cannot invade. In the name of Jesus, I declare the hope and the salvation and the goodness of God in this house. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray our minds would be open to you. Lord, I pray that every attack of the enemy that is even coming against us now, Lord, the scales that have covered our eyes under the authority of Jesus Christ, I declare the light of God to pierce through right now in Jesus' name. May faith arise on our souls and may the scales fall from our eyes now in Jesus' name. Lord, may we see you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace in our life. Lord, in the name of Jesus, come on, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. and could you stay standing for just a few moments? I don't know, uh, sometimes God asks us to do certain things at different moments of our life, and we need to be aware of what the Lord is doing in and around us and through us, and can I just tell you right now, there is a spiritual struggle that is happening over the people that are in this room right now. I don't know if you recognize that or not. If you haven't recognized that yet, I want you to flip your spiritual ears on and begin to listen to what God is doing in this house. Come on, for just a, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I, I wanna invite you right now just to begin to thank the Lord out loud. Let's begin to fill the air around us with the praises of the Lord for just a few moments. That's spiritual warfare. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not just about you know being like this Pentecostal person speaking in tongues all the time. Come on, let's glorify the Lord in this house for a few moments. Let's push back the power of darkness. Let's allow the Lord to invade what was once enemy territory. Let's take it back for the glory of God right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you in this house. Lord, I give you glory. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. Lord, we trust you in all moments, in all seasons, in all areas of our life. God, I thank you for saving me. Lord, I thank you for the mercy of God that's brand new in my life. Lord, I thank you that in my weakness, in my shortcoming, in my sin, Lord, I can repent. I can turn to you. And Lord, you've already turned to me. Lord, that you've been waiting for me. Lord, you've been pouring out your love in my life. Lord, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy, God. Come on, church. Sometimes we got to push through a little bit. Come on, just worship God in these moments. Worship God and allow him to fill you with his glory. Allow him to fill the air around you with his presence and his presence and the goodness of life and, and all that he has for us. Lord, you're faithful today. God, you're faithful today. God, you're faithful today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, if you don't know how to worship, well, it's just saying Jesus is enough, I'm telling you. His name's good enough. I'm gonna talk a little bit about that later on this evening. Come on, Jesus is good. His name is good enough. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God be glorified in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Come on, high-five somebody as you're seated and tell them buckle up. I hope if, if you feel a little uncomfortable right now, that's awesome. Because uh, that means that we're changing. Oftentimes change is very uncomfortable to the human nature, you know? Because we like, we like what we know, and we do not like what we do not know. That's fact. You gonna, we can all say, oh, I love new things. No, you don't. Don't be a liar, you know? I like new things. I know how I want my coffee. 
Come on. I, I know what kind of music I like to listen to. I know what temperature I want the room to be. I know what I like. Come on. And when things change, it makes me uncomfortable. But that's a great place because when things begin to change and I become uncomfortable, I begin to become more aware of what's around me. I don't get complacent. I don't get stuck in the same place. But now I become aware of what God is doing in my life. So I hope you're uncomfortable for a few moments. If not, I'm going to work on that for you. <laughs> Lay down and roll around on the floor. Listen, if, 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 and when I was a, a kid, of course, I still act like a kid. I'm 40 years old. My wife says I'm as immature as I've ever been. So, uh, But uh, I was born and raised in, in a church, uh, you know, that loved the Lord and, and, and an assembly of God church like this one and, and uh, you know, all that. My, my mom and my dad actually gave his life to the Lord at my baby dedication, which is an awesome thing. And, and he was saved out of a life of alcohol and anger and confusion. And he gave his life to the Lord at, during my baby dedication. It was an awesome thing. And uh, so I was born and raised in a Christian home and loved the Lord and uh, was, was really, you know, God's just really blessed me. I could take you back to the little uh, classroom in the basement of my church where this little lady named, uh, we, everybody we called sister and brother, whatever their names was back in the day. I don't know if you were a part of a church like that ever, but uh, her name was Sister Zimmerman, right? Sister Zimmerman. She, she had the deal, you know, where, where she, you know, her, she had never wore the makeup, right? No makeup because makeup was ungodly or something like that, you know, and earrings were ungodly you know, whatever, lipstick, all the stuff they thought. And, and so, you know, and they would take their, their hair and they'd pull it back in these buns. And, you know, they would like, you know, it's like, it, it was a good facelift for a lot of those old ladies, you know, and the higher the bun you put, it was the holier you were, the higher the bun you got. And so I remember being in that classroom and, and uh, I, I remember going in there all the time. I was like, I mean, I was a, oh my Lord, I was a heathen as a little kid. And, but I remember when I was just five years old, I can distinctly remember uh, Sister Zimmerman leading me in the sinner's prayer and me surrendering my life to Jesus. I also remember uh, being such a, <laughs> well, I'm telling you this stuff. I'd sit back on my little chair and I, I used to wear these black cowboy boots with red trim through them. The red thread, I loved them. I don't know why. And I always wanted to put them up on the table so I could show people my cowboy boots and she did not like that so I had to put my hands out on top of the table and she took a little well not a, a yardstick she took a yardstick over my hands that's when they could do that with and I think that's why my knuckles kind of look that way now God bless her with a thousand mosquitoes in her armpit on a hot summer day but don't put that in the notes Candace don't put that on there but I remember giving my life to the Lord. I remember when I was seven years old, coming forward in a church during services kind of like this and pursuing Jesus and asking him to fill me with the power of his Holy Spirit as a seven-year-old kid. I remember the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon my life and I began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to do so. I remember the Lord used to use me, as a, even as a little kid, I would go around and, and, and God would use me to pray for people. And I remember the first miracle I, I really could, I really remember I was 11 years old I remember laying my hand over top of this little kid he had a he had a cyst sticking off of his eye that was about that far like this little growth thing or whatever and his mom brought him forward in, in, in a service and an evangelist that was there it was the same night actually God called me into full-time ministry which is a fun little thing but he the evangelist came and got me and and uh, said I want you to walk around with me because you're never going to be the same after this night you're going to see God do amazing things in, in, in and through your life tonight and it's kind of been that way uh, but uh, I remember 
remember taking my little hand and putting it over his, and I remember we, we began to pray, and you know, I don't, I'm just an 11-year-old kid. I don't really know everything there is to know, but I knew Jesus was big enough to do whatever he wanted to whenever he wanted to, and I remember taking my hand away, and all of a sudden, that cyst that was there when I put my hand on it, when I took my hand away, because of the glory of God, that thing disappeared just like that. It was, I mean, it was, I wish you could have saw, I can remember the look on the mother's face. The little kid had no idea what was going on, but the mom was all full of it. Come on. It was an amazing thing. But I also remember, as I started getting a little older and getting into my teenage years, I remember I started getting smarter, right? Uh, you know, when you're kind of a junior high, you get into that age, you kind of know a lot of things, right? At that point, you know more than what anybody else knows, you know, and that was me. And I, I knew everything because I started to look at people, the same people that would stand beside me in church and worship and, and raise their hands. They'd even cry or they'd speak in tongues. They'd do all kinds of things where the same people I'd watch before we'd even get out the door, they were talking bad about somebody else. They were cursing. They were manipulating. They were doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They were cheating on their wives. They're doing all kinds of, and I, I became very hardened and callous because I took my eyes off of who Jesus was and I began to look at what everybody else was doing around me. So now all of a sudden I've decided this was just a big sham. It was just a big farce. It was just a big emotional rise whenever we would worship and pursue the Lord that it was just, it was just a, basically a bless me club to make me feel good on a Sunday morning and it had no relevance to the rest of my life throughout the, throughout the week. Because I watched everybody else instead of having my eyes fixed on Jesus. And as I began to look around, and, and I, I mean, I fell so far away from the Lord. I, I could still listen. I still came to church on Sunday mornings. I was still able to come to youth group throughout the middle of the week. And I, I could raise my hands. I could cry. I, I, I could act like the whole deal. Uh, you know, I, 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 I even led worship. And I was able to do all the things. But throughout the rest of the week, I was drinking. I was doing stupid stuff and hanging around with the wrong people, doing things that I'm, I cannot believe that I, I was so, I'm so ashamed of to this day. So of the stuff and the ignorant things that I did in my life. But I'm thankful today that God sent somebody into the public school that I was in in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, God sent a Holy Ghost-filled teacher into my path. I'm thankful for that. I think I'm thankful today for, for spirit-filled Christians and for spirit-filled teachers that go into the public school systems and proclaim the name of Jesus, maybe not necessarily because they're beating people over the head with a Bible, but because they live through the power of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And she began to get me reconnected to the Lord, and I surrendered my life to Jesus again. I was just a little over 16 years old. It was the same time that I met my wife. Come on, somebody, God was moving. Woo, she was hot. Hallelujah, still is. Am I allowed to say that? Am I allowed to say that in church? Okay, good. If not, you can. Are we on delay? You should probably, when you live stream with me, you need to be like a delay so somebody can, you know, whatever. But you know, I, I love, I mean, it was an amazing time in my life, and, and uh, we're, we're going through, and, and I, I, I really don't know a lot of scripture yet at this point, even though I was born and raised in church. I knew the stories, but I didn't know a lot of different things, right? I, 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 and so I began to just question God, asking him why he would come back to me like that, why he would pour his love back into my life, and I distinctly remember uh, we had just moved up onto the, uh, up onto the, uh, a ridge in, in our little town, and my parents had just built a house, and uh, uh, and, and we, we just moved into this house and it was a Cape Cod style type house to where my room was one of the bedrooms up top and had one of those little dormers that kind of stick out into the, you know, into the roof there a little bit. And that's where I had my desk. And I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and just so consumed that saying, God, why would you love somebody like me? Somebody that knew better. I knew better. 
I knew, but I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have been acting the way I was. And God, yet his grace came after me anyway. Yet his love came after me anyway. Yet he put all these things in order, all these things in motion to bring me back to him. God, why would you do something like that? And I remember crying out to the Lord and was just so overwhelmed by that. And I get up out of my bed and I go over to my desk and my Bible was laying there and I take my Bible and I'm telling you, uh, listen, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but I'm telling you, this is what happened that night. I take my Bible and I just say, God, I'm, I'm going to need you to speak to me because if you don't tell me why you would do something like this, then I can't believe you're real. I need you to speak to me right now. Listen, God understands me. I know we've been singing this song this weekend, but God understands me. He understands you. He, he's not afraid by your questions. He's not afraid by your uncertainty. He's not even afraid by your unbelief and your doubt. Listen to me today. God will give you the measure of faith you need. And as I'm asking God these questions, I take my Bible and I'm opening them up. And I'm telling you, as I'm standing here today, my Bible fell open to Ephesians chapter 2. I didn't know everything that was found in there. And I begin to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that God saved me by his grace through faith. And it's not anything I can do in and of myself, but it was a free gift by God. Listen to me today. Maybe you feel like you're, you're in that same place in your life. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you've been a part of things, or maybe you've been away for a while, and for some reason you find yourself back in the room today. Uh, listen to me. I got news to you. God is setting you up to receive his grace. It's nothing we deserve, right? Well, I think we, a lot of us understand this. This Greek word for grace is charis, which means the unmerited favor of God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. I do not deserve the blessing of God. I do not deserve the love of God. I don't deserve his mercy. But this is why God calls it grace, because I don't deserve it. He makes, he, in my moment of weakness, his strength is made perfect. In my shortcomings, he fills the gaps. That's what grace is. But listen to me, grace isn't just something I don't deserve, but grace is forgiveness from the past. It's freedom in the present, and it's a fire to reach the purpose God has designed me to live in Jesus' name. This morning, I want you to get this deep down inside you. Grace is more than just being saved, right? A lot of us have that Christian word, saved. You know, it's even in our, even in our series we're going through right now here at Freedom Valley, souls to save. What in the flip does that even mean? Saved. I mean, you ever thought about that before? Come on, walk up to Gettysburg Gary and ask him, are you saved? He may not even know what you're talking about. Saved. Saved from what? Right? What am, I, what am I supposed to be saved from? What does this even mean in my life? Well, this morning, I want to unpack this a little bit. What does it mean to have the grace of God, that we are saved by grace through faith? What, what does this even mean? Well, let's unpack this a little bit more with us this morning. Look at this now in, in verse 1. It says, Once we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander, the powers of the unseen world. He is in the spirit, at work, and the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace we have been saved. Listen, what does it even mean? What are we even saved from? Well, it's very simple. Number one is this, we are saved from death. Grace, receiving the grace of God, means we are saved from death. That doesn't mean you're not going to die. 
but it means the effects of death are different for you. To be absent in the body, when you surrender your life to Jesus and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he is gone at that very moment, it's different. You have a new lease on life and the things of this world can no longer tear you apart. Here's what I'm telling you. If the world beats you up, God can heal you. If the world kills you, say thank you because you get to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Death is a promotion to the Christian. That's why, that's why God's word says blessing in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's a good place for an amen. Death has nothing on us. Death cannot take over our souls. Death cannot overwhelm us. I want us to look at this scripture. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience in your many sins. Once you were dead. It's this, this Greek word necros, uh, which, which is where we get like necropathy or, necropathy or ne- necrosis. It's, it, it's, it's flesh wasted. Let me say it this way. I know many of us, you know, we've, we've been to funeral homes and different things to where, you know, when a loved one passes away and, 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 and there's, you know, the, the, the funeral director, the mortician and all the people, they, they, they do a, a wonderful job a lot of times and help kind of make a, a body of our, of our loved one look presentable to us so we can kind of go through the grieving process. But can I tell you, as, as, I've, as I've worked uh, in, in the last several years of my life and I've volunteered in, in emergency medicine, I'm a, I'm a registered EMT in Pennsylvania, and so I, I've been called into different places and into different areas uh, where, you know, a, a family that maybe uh, lives uh, distantly away and they haven't been able to get a hold of their loved one in a few days, and they, they call on a, like, they call it a welfare check, basically, and you go to the house and you kind of make your way in and come to find out that that body had been there for a little bit. Uh, you know, listen, a dead body is utterly helpless. I don't want to be too graphic this morning, but I don't, I don't want to discount the effects of sin and the depravity of man. When, when we're dead, this body is utterly helpless. We can do nothing. The body is just lays there and decays. It has to be moved in every way. Even in the, in the moments when I've been in and not just called into situations like that, but even, even whenever someone is in cardiac arrest or there's something going on and you're, that person is slipping in and out of eternity and you're working on them. Can I tell you that process is not pretty? Death is, death is, is, is overwhelming to the human body. It is, this is not a pretty sight. I know this isn't something like, you know, I can't believe a preacher's talking about death this long, but listen to me. The wages of sin is death. Sin is the deci- are the decisions we make that separate us from God that are contrary to God's word. It's not, it's not our opinion. It's not what we think is right or what is wrong, but what is written in plain black and white in the 66 books of the Bible. When we go against what God has, sa- has said in our life, listen to me, it is sin and it separates us from God. And because of that, now we have to die. Because one man's sin, death entered into the world, now all must die because everyone is living a life of sin. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. Listen to me, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all, listen, it's staggering. The death rate remains to be one to one. Everybody's gonna go. This isn't very encouraging, is it? Right? No idea the preacher was gonna come in and tell you, you're gonna die. But we die because of our disobedience and our sin, the Bible says. 
This, this disobedience, and I don't want to linger here too long, but I want us to understand there's, a, there's different ways that we can fall away from the Lord. First of all, this disobedience, is it, it, the, the connotation of this word is, is more so like a misstep, almost like an unintentional deal. Like you know, as if I'm, I'm walking out to the edge of this platform and I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing and I misstep and fall down. Of course, I know Aaron, you'd catch me and everything because we're pals. But, you know, uh, listen, it, it, I would slip and fall. It's unintentional. Let me say it to you this way. If you're driving out here, this, this is York Road, right? If you're driving on York Road and you have no idea that the speed limit's 45 and not 55, and there's some, there, there's, you know, one of the blessed of thin blue lines sitting out there. Come on, somebody. Right? And, and, and you're doing 65 instead of 45. Can I tell you something? The cop is not going to care whether or not you knew the speed limit. You still broke the law. Just because you don't know the law doesn't mean you can't break it. This is what it means to be disobedient, that was unintentional, that, that, that we just, we don't know. A lot of people don't realize, listen to me, we, we try and go by, by, by what we think is right and wrong, and listen to me, how many understand the heart of man is sinful? We live, we have been born into a sinful nature, into a sinful world. Let me say it to you this way, I've never had to teach my kids to misbehave. I've never had to teach my kids to, to be rotten and to, to be disobedient. I'm not, they, it comes naturally to them. Come on, somebody. I mean, you know who their dad is for crying out loud. It comes naturally to us because the nature of man, we are born into a sinful world. It is overwhelming to the human. We, we, can't, we can't resist the world on our own. So we become disobedient to the Lord. Whether or not we know the law doesn't mean you can't break it. And then it also says it's not just our disobedience, but it's our sin. It's our sin. This means that we missed the mark. We intentionally saw what we were supposed to do. We knew the target, but we missed the mark intentionally. Many of us know God's word. Many of us know what is right and wrong. Come on. Many of us can even quote the top 10 list from Exodus 20. Come on. Many of us know all the thou shalt nots. And maybe, maybe we know better than that, much like I did when I, was a, when I was a younger kid as a teenager. I knew better. I was born and raised. I had the Bible placed in my life. But yet I intentionally walked away from him because my eyes got taken off of Jesus, the prize, and I started looking at the people around me, the problems of this world. We begin to overwhelm ourselves when we begin to look at everything else that is going on instead of staying focused on who Jesus is in our life. I said this last night. You want to know why you're losing in your faith? Because you've taken your eyes off the champion of faith and you start to look around at all the people that are failing. The people you hang around with will determine your trajectory. Some of y'all need some new friends. I just want to encourage you with this tonight. If your friends aren't the ones that are lifting you up and pushing you forward in what God has in your life, gently and gracefully step away and find new friends. Can I tell you where you can find them? Right here. There's a lot of wonderful people in this house. You, there's a great group of people you can connect with, people that have all different kinds of lifestyles and all kinds of different seasons of their life. You can find people that will love on you and care for you. You say, Tim, I haven't found that yet. It's because you haven't been looking. You've been satisfied with what you know and you haven't wanted to change. This is what repentance is. Repentance is coming back to the Lord. Many times we think repent is like this, this bad word. This it has a dirty word, like almost like a, a negative connotation to it. Can I tell you repentance is awesome because it's not just saying no to the things of this world. It's saying yes to the things of Jesus. 
Listen, the Bible says here that it's our disobedience and our sin that make us utterly helpless. We're dead because of our disobedience and sin. And we used to live in that sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Again, I shared this last night, and it's why we did this a little bit this after uh, this afternoon as I was beginning to preach. There is a spiritual warfare that is happening over the souls of mankind, even right now. Whether or not we think it's happening, I got news for you. The devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family. No doubt. There is an enemy of your soul, and he is waging war against you right now. And if we're unaware of it, it doesn't mean he's going to stop. The Bible says that he is the power of the air, right? This is unbelievable to me. Here in Ephesians 1, it says the devil is the prince of the air of this world. You know, one of the amazing things is, is to me, the devil is the only world leader that I know of that his primary foreign policy is to get people to believe he doesn't exist. The primary foreign policy of the devil is to make people think he doesn't exist. Just that there's some kind of like, oh, like greater force out there. There's like, you know, people just don't understand and it's just a bunch of miscommunication. And we, we, we begin to believe all these new age garbage that man has come up with. There's this story of a man that was going in, a, a guy going in for credentials with, with, uh, with our denomination that we're a part of, the Assemblies of God, and he was going in. And when you do that, you kind of, you go through and you get these, these different levels of education. You take some classes and different things, and then you go through this process of interviews. And, uh, and then the last part is you sit down with like this group of people that are kind of more established in leadership and in, in, in that, in that fellowship. And, and you sit down and chat with them, and then they send you out of the room and they discuss whether or not they, it's your, you know, ready to receive credentials to be a, a credentialed minister in, in that in that fellowship. And so this this guy walks in and you know begins to go through the whole process, goes through the classes, go and has the initial interview, and then he sits down in the final interview with this full panel of people, and they begin to ask him these questions, and they come to find out that this this young man did not believe there was actually a devil. The, a guy coming in for, full, for full-time ministry to be credentialed in our fellowship believed that there wasn't a devil. He just said there was some, there's just like a greater force out there. Like, it's just the world, but, but we can overcome the world. And it, you know, it's not, it's, there's not really a devil. Well, that's contrary to my word. My Bible said there was a devil. He was the chief worship leader in the world or in, in heaven. And, but yet he, just, he, he took his eyes off of God the Father and began to look at what would benefit him. And he was so beautiful and elegant and talented that he was even this wonderful angel of light that was, was amazing. But he took his eyes off of the Lord and to begin to look at himself and, and wanted to exalt himself up and make himself just like God. And, and so he fell and he took a third of the angels with him, the Bible says. Uh, but I'm thankful today if he only took a third, two-thirds stayed behind. Come on, somebody. For every one they got, we got two. Come on now. So there is a real devil that has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and this, and this guy going for credentials didn't believe there was. And, you know, they, and they send him out, and one of the older guys sits there, and he's like, man, we can't give this kid credentials. He doesn't even believe there's a devil. How's he, how's he going to be successful in ministry? How's he going to understand what's going on? There's no way we're going to be able to give him credentials. And finally, somebody else stood up and said, hey, guys, listen. Just chill out. Chill out. Let, go ahead. Let's give him credentials. Because six months into ministry, he's going to find out there really is a devil that is loose in this world. When you begin to get involved in what God is doing, you're going to begin to find out there is a devil that is coming against you. Here's what I'm telling you this morning. If you haven't run into the enemy, maybe it's because you're going in the same direction he is. 
If you haven't been involved in some kind of a spiritual battle or maybe that even manifests itself in the natural world, and I don't want to get too deep into this because I'm going to quickly share this tonight before we pray with folks. Uh, listen to me. What happens in the natural world has only first been given permission to happen in the supernatural world. What we see with our eyes has only first been given permission with what we cannot see with our eyes. I want you to understand that's why the Bible says whatever you have loosed on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. And so we got to understand this. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual war. And the devil wants to make you think that it's not real. We are a part of a real war. And it says here that our flesh, our flesh that we used to disobey God in our sinful nature, and we became subject to God's anger. What does it mean that we become an object even of God's right? Is God mad at you? Many, of you, many folks have even wondered that because I'm going through a sickness or a setback or pain or a heartache or all the different negative things that happen in this world. People want to know, is God mad at me? Can I tell you something? God is not mad at you. This is the law of consequence. We live in a fallen world. Jesus never said when you surrender your life to him and you become a new creation that he's immediately going to transport you out of heaven, you know, up to heaven. Wouldn't that be nice, that when we surrender our life to the Lord, we just leave? I mean, that'd be, boy, that'd be nice, God, right? But the wonderful power and the nature of the grace of God is that he wants to use imperfect people like me and like you to portray the perfect message of the gospel. Listen, the message of the gospel is messy. We don't have what it takes. I'm imperfect. I don't always say what I'm supposed to say. I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. But somehow, someway, God accomplishes his purpose through me and through you. This is the amazing power of the grace of God. And it's not that God is mad at us. It's basically the law of consequence. We live in a fallen world. Jesus says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Because we live in this world, we're going to have to go through temporary pain and separation and suffering. But Paul says, I'm thankful today that despite what I'm going through, it compares nothing to the eternal glory of God we get to enjoy in heaven forever and forever and forever. God is not mad at you, but we live in a fallen world. It's the law of consequence. It's basically this. If you were to climb to the top of this church building and get on the very peak and get over to the edge and jump off, you know what happens? You fall. Gravity has a law of consequence. If you have nothing underneath you, you're going down, honey. Come on now. And this is the same way with God. If you do not have the firm foundation of Jesus Christ underneath you, you're, listen to me, we live in a fallen world. So we're going to fall. We're going to have issues. We're going to have heartache. We're going to have pain. But I'm thankful this is where the grace of God kicks in. So listen, man, this is why we're saved from death. For the wages of sin is death. But I'm thankful today that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Not only are we saved from death, but now the Bible says we are seated with distinction. It's a, it's a forgiveness from the past, but now it's freedom in the present. It's not, listen, grace isn't just saying, I'm sorry, and, and God forgives you of what's happened in the past. Grace stays with you, and it's a freedom to live how God has called you and formed you and created you to live right now. 
Come on, let's, let's look at the scripture again. Look at it in verse six. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. He says, since we were raised from the dead along with Christ, now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Listen, this is why water baptism is so powerful, because it's an outward sign of the inward commitment that already has taken place. Listen, when you surrender your, your, with, your, with your heart and you believe in your heart and you, you speak with your mouth that Jesus is Lord in your life, you become a part of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, I know there's so many Christians. Listen, you want to know why we don't change? Because we become so familiar with the cross, we don't want to get out of the tomb. We can go to the cross. We love the cross because we come to the cross and boy, we know that's where our pain is. That's where we surrendered our suffering. That's where we surrendered our sickness and our shortcomings and our inabilities. That's where we've given it to the Lord. I, I, I'm re I am very aware with what I cannot do. I know what I'm not able to do. I know my abilities. I know my shortcomings. I know what goes through my mind when grandma in the blue hair in the 1984 Buick is going 20 mile an hour down the road and I gotta get to work. Come on, somebody. I know what's in my mind. Here's the deal. Regardless of where we are in our life, it's not just forgiveness from the past, but now it's freedom in the future. The grace wants to move us forward. Many of us get so familiar with our pain and our sin, we forget to walk away from it. And I'm, listen, I'm not discounting the cross. I, I definitely, I don't want to do that this morning, but I think we've lingered around it too long. Jesus only stayed on the cross for a day, actually a few hours. It's time to get out of the tomb. Listen, every day, the Bible says, every day I crucify myself with Christ. I surrender my life to the Lord. I surrender to him. But I got news for you. I, I have been saved by the power of the cross, but I live by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am alive right now, but it's no longer I that lives, but it's Jesus who lives in me because I have been crucified with Christ and yet I live. Not I, but Jesus who lives in me. Come on, somebody. I want you to understand this this morning. You do not live on the cross. We die on the cross, but we become alive when we step out of the tomb. It's time for us to come alive. It's time for Freedom Valley to come alive. If we really are a vibrant church, then we need to act like it, and it can't just happen in the four walls of this sanctuary, but when we walk outside, we need to live by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has to change everything. It changes everything. When we start to realize I don't have to linger and, and, and cling on to my suffering and my shortcoming of the past, but now I can walk in the freedom of who Jesus is in my life. And you know this, if Jesus has set you free, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's time for Freedom Valley to actually be Freedom Valley. You're not labeled by what you've went through. 
You're called to move forward in the freedom of Jesus Christ in your life. You are seated with distinction. The Bible says because we have surrendered our life to Jesus and now Jesus has surrendered himself. Hebrews says it this way. For the joy set before him, the Lord endured the cross, despising its shame. But right now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and for me. And the Bible here says that when we surrender our life to Jesus, yes, we were dead with Christ. Christ on the cross, but now because he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, you are seated right beside him. You have a seat of honor at the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are no longer labeled a sinner of this world. You're no longer the addict. You're no longer the divorced one. You're no longer the helpless one or the one in debt and all the pain and the suffering of the past, but you are now an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are more than a conqueror because you have been made alive in the power of the resurrection. This is why water baptism is so awesome because when you go down in the water, it's a symbol that your old life is gone and when you come up out of the water, it's a symbol that you are now living by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you believe Jesus got out of the tomb, then we ought to live like it. This is the amazing thing about it. It happened 2,000 years ago. They have found the bones of all kinds of pharaohs and former kings and people of distinction and history, and they have yet to find one bone of my Savior, Jesus Christ, because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. We've been seated with distinction. We've been united with Jesus Christ so God can point to us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. God can point to us in all future ages. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it because we are still here. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we've been resurrected because we have to endure pain and suffering and heartache. Listen to me, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a faith-speaking preacher. I, I believe in miracles and signs and wonders. I, we watch people be healed all the time from temporary physical setbacks and things that are happening of this world and all, all that stuff. I, I watch God do that stuff all the time, but it doesn't mean I am not aware of the reality of the pain and the suffering around me and even in my life and in my family's life. Over the last, uh, over the last, uh, uh, what is it, two years almost now, I've had to watch my daughter go through three different surgeries on her legs and endure all kinds of pain. I've watched my son crush his leg. I've had to put all kinds of crazy things. Over the last couple years, we have went through more stuff than what we went through in the previous 10 years combined. But I'm thankful today that God has been with me every step of the way. I'm thankful today that even when I didn't feel it, even when I didn't recognize it, God was working on my behalf. Even when I felt like everyone had left me alone and nobody understood where I was, I'm thankful today that the Lord kept pursuing me, that his grace was overwhelming to me. I'm thankful today that even though I didn't see it in the moment, God was working on my behalf. That's why he can point to us in all future ages. It's something like this. My um, uh, Katie and, and, and my oldest daughter, Emily, who's not with us this weekend, she's back home doing some things, taking care of some uh, stuff she has going on. But, uh, you know, her, Emily's 16. I have a 16-year-old. I still cannot believe I have a 16-year-old. Why, God, he would trust me with a child. I can't even get that over him yet. But I have a beautiful 16-year-old daughter, and, 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 of course, my wife, Katie. We've been married now for 18 years. Be 19, August 4th. Come on, somebody. I remember the day. Hey. 
And uh, yeah, that's right. We were married when I was four years old. That's right. But Katie and Emily kind of have this tradition. They they like to watch these uh, pageants, right? Like the Miss America thing, right? Like some of y'all, don't be ashamed of it. You all watch it too. I know some of y'all do, right? I, I, I am not one of them. I'm not that person. I don't watch those things. I can't take it anymore. And mostly because I can turn it on and they, the, all, the, all the little people, they come walking out with their little numbers like that, right? Right? Uh, why, do, why do, listen, why do girls, when they take pictures, you, you do one of two things. You either do the, the hip thing or you do the duck face. What's that about? Quit. I don't want to see a picture of you in the bathroom with your phone going, quit. Stop it. All right. Sorry to get off, get off my chest. All right. Thank you. But, you know, they, they like to watch the Miss America thing. And a lot of times, because of our schedule, we're out and about. We don't always get to see things on it. So, we, you know, we, we, they watch it on replay. They, they record it on a DVR or whatever. And, and you know, and so they'll, they'll be out in the living room. And they'll, go, they'll go flip it on. And I'll, I'll be out walking around doing whatever. And I'll, I'll walk in the living room. I see that they're watching it. And, of course, one of the things I like to do is when they're watching it on replay, I, I, you know, you, you have these little phones now where you can say, hey, Siri, who won the Miss America 2020? Right? And oh, it actually came on. Uh, yeah, there he was. It's Miss Virginia. <laughs> oh, they're listening. Um, um, so, uh, you know, and I like to say, hey, hey, girls, you want to know who won? You know? Do you want to know who won? No, I don't want to know who won. They, they want to watch. The, I don't know why, but they want to watch the pageant. They want to watch. I don't know. Is that all they do? Because that's all I've ever really watched, where they walk around like that. How, how do they decide who Miss America is by that? But somehow they do it, and you know, whatever the things they do, and then they decide who wins. And I, listen, I, 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 I like, I already know, girls, I know. And then I like to taunt them. I like to come in and out of the living room, like, it's not Miss Delaware, you know, and I'll just come through. You know, I, 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 I don't know why it is. I have to find joy whenever someone is doing something as foolish as watching Miss America 20. You know what I'm saying? But I like to do that. You say, well, Tim, what are you getting at? What's the same way? Just because you don't know who's won yet doesn't mean the victory hasn't already been won. Just because you can't see it with your own eyes, just because maybe you're watching it and not in real time and you're living in the past and you're looking at all the things, doesn't mean that the victory hasn't already been won. Listen to me today. The victory has already been won. Now Jesus wants to be able to point to us in all future ages saying, look, if I was faithful to them, I'm going to be faithful to you. Your neighbor and your coworker, your unsaved loved one is going to be able to look at your life and say, if God could use you, if God could save you, if God could work through you, that means God could work through them. If you were really to know me, listen to me, if God can work through me, every man, woman, and child in the building this morning is qualified to be used by God, because if you were to really know me, there's no way in the world you'd give me a microphone and let me stand up here and yak for a while. But because of the grace of God, I have been seated with distinction, and so have you. This is the powerful grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not just, it's not just forgiveness from the past. It's not just forgiveness to stop reliving the pain of the past, but it's freedom to start living in the promise of the present God and our eternal home of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. We have been saved from death. We have been seated with distinction, and now we have been set into destiny for the glory of God. Every man, woman, and child has been predestined. This is where people get freaked out in the religious world. 
Because, you know, they want to talk about being Calvinist or Arminianist and all those kind of things. And if you have no idea what those words are, that's awesome. Don't know what they are because it's foolish. It's semantics and it's people trying to determine how they, how, how they can manipulate you into believing who God is. So you've got to come to them and ask questions instead of going to God himself. That's a whole other sermon. Everybody was predestined. You were knitted together in your mother's womb before one of your days ever came to be. God had them planned out. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans of hope and of a future. He wants you to be in good health and prosper in all ways and even as your soul prospers. He has designed everyone to live with him in heaven forever and forever and forever. Every man, woman, and child that has ever been created has been designed to have relationship with Jesus, not just here on this earth, but in eternity in heaven forever and forever and forever. It is our destiny to move forward in the grace of God in our life. Grace is not just forgiveness from the past. It's not just freedom to live in the present, but it's a fire to move forward in the purpose and the plans that God has for your life. They're plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans of hope and of a future. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My eternal home has been made with hands that are not of this world. It has nothing to do with myself. It's nothing because of anything I've done or anything I've been able to give, but it's because of everything of what Jesus has already done in my life. And when I surrender to him, I can walk with him today. And when I walk with him today, he's going to carry me into tomorrow. God saved you by his grace, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are set into destiny. God has destined you for greatness. Greatness in the grace of God. Grace, grace, his grace, his unending favor, his unending love, his unmerited favor. It's nothing you can do to earn it. It's nothing you can do to deserve it. It's even nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. You is never anything you could do to make God love you more and make God love you less. I got news for you. Even when your mama quits loving you, I serve a God who comes after you every day and pours out his love in your life. You are not far and distant. You are forgotten about, but you matter to God, and God has been looking at you this entire time. This whole service has been designed around to reach out to you under the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I love the Passion Translation as I read earlier from Ephesians chapter 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. We are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. That's powerful. If you have never read through the Passion Translation, it's a fun translation to get a different perspective on what God is saying. I love what this says. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given to each of us. It's this, this Greek word poema, which is translated as many places. We are a masterpiece of God or we are a work of art of God. Listen to me. It means that, that, that we, as God the Father, it wants to display his poetic plan of grace as revealed by the destined works of his creation. 
Listen to me, when you begin to follow the plan of God in your life and you move forward in what God has for you and you begin to do it and you begin to do it and you begin to do it and you begin to do it, God begins to take all of our stories and begin to weave them together. And God, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but God is more artistic and more creative than any of us could be put together. But whenever he takes us and starts putting this story together and this story together, that God could save some kid from a coal mining town that was born and raised running around a sheep farm, that's me. God could save you. God could save you. God could take care of you. And God begins to weave all of us together. Listen to me. It's a beautiful, poetic story of the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm telling you today. You are a masterpiece in the gallery of God's grace. Your life is a masterpiece of the gallery of God's grace. Listen to me, and don't allow anyone's appraisal of you of this world to determine your worth. Your worth is not determined by what somebody says you're worth. Your worth is determined by who created you, God the Father, the King of the universe. The artist is what determines the value. There's a story that goes on. There was a, a vagrant that lived in a city and he didn't have much to offer. He always sat on the street and, and would beg and, and, take, and want things and, and it, want people to give him crumbs and, and money and always sat there begging and he'd go back to his room where he lived in almost this abandoned type looking building where he was able to live and he, he had stored different things over the years and, and, and just put his knickknacks and his little trinkets that he would find out of the dumpsters and the garbage cans and what people would give to him and he would keep it in that, in that building. Well, that, that man that, that uh, he is he basically a homeless man, but had this area. Where he kept all his stuff. Uh, he began to, he began to fall in health and died and passed away. The authorities were able to figure out who his next of kin were, and they come back and they they go into this man's type apartment where he's kept all his stuff, and they start going through everything and basically throwing most of everything away. And then all of a sudden, they come to this they, they come to this 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 frame. This and it had like this this old dusty. Uh, painting inside of it that was scarred up and had some issues with it but the the the, the woman there that had found it was which was his his uh, his sister she found it and thought boy I love this frame it's beautiful kind of had like this Victorian type look and she was into that or whatever and thought how wonderful that would look and she immediately thought of a print that she had at home that she'd love to put in that frame and hang it over the mantle in, in, in her dining room and thought boy I'd love to have that and so she begins to take that and clean it off and gets it home and gets that other print and once to put it in and she can't really get the old painting out of it. It was kind of wedged in there from over time and all the heat and different things that happened that make things join together and, and so she takes it to this, this curator in a gallery to help take the old one out and put the print in that she had it and as she hands it over to this curator, the curator begins to look at it and begins to work around and is able to get the old painting out and as he gets the old painting out, he pops it out and flips it over and on the back of that, of, of that old painting was an inscription that was written out that Rembrandt made that painting himself. It was an original Rembrandt. This is a true story. Say, so, Tim, what am I getting at? Just because you don't see the value in something doesn't mean it's not valuable. Just because someone else has discounted how much you're worth and your, the appraisal of who you are doesn't mean that God the Father, the greatest artist of all time, hasn't made you, hasn't fearfully and wonderfully made you. You are highly valuable. You are a highly valuable masterpiece in the gallery of God's grace. You have much to offer the Lord. You have much to offer the world. You have much to offer the Lord through the world. Or through, you have much to offer the world through the Lord. You have much to offer. 
What you're able to do is something that I'm not able to do. Who you're able to reach are people that I'm not able to reach. Listen, where you're able to go, I'm not able to go. And it's vice versa. But whenever we begin to work together, listen to me, it is a beautiful inscription. We become poetry in motion. We move forward with the fire of God as we become witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit to display the goodness and the kindness and the nature of God. I don't know where you are in your life this morning. I don't know what's happening in and around your life, but I want you to know something. God has a plan for you. You are forgiven from the past. You have freedom to live right now, and God has a fire to set you forward into the destiny that he's called you to live in Jesus' name. You are not far and distant, but God is with you right here and right now. You say, oh, Tim, I don't have much to offer God. I can't do much. Listen to me. There's a lot of things that could get done around here. And I'm not just talking about this building or this property. I'm talking about in Gettysburg, Adams County, in its entirety. The 102,000 people that live in this area, they need to know who Jesus is. There was a man that you probably never heard this guy's name before, and it, it's, it's not a big deal. But he was, he was just a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. Didn't, didn't have much to offer, but he was faithful and, and taught junior high kids. I'm telling you right now, if you ever teach junior high kids, you deserve, like, you, you're awesome. I mean, <laughs> and this guy just, just, he just loved the kids and would, would pursue them and go after them. And, and uh, this guy's name was Edward Kimball. And he, he, it's not a very famous name. Not too many people know who this guy is. But he, he loved on kids. And there's this one particular kid the Lord really laid on his heart. And he would show up to church on Sunday mornings and then, you know, go to school. But then he worked in a, in a stock room of a shoe store in the, in, the, in the back of downtown Chicago. And God really laid this young man on Edward Kimball's heart. And so Edward Kimball went to that shoe store to meet that kid. And he goes to that shoe store and, and asks the, ask the owner, the, the store owner says, hey, listen, there's a kid in the back that works for you in, in the stock room, and uh, I just want him to know he matters. And I wanna go chat with him and just let him know I care about him and I love him. And the owner's like, well, go ahead. He's back there stocking shoes, doing whatever. And so Edward Campbell goes walking into the back, and this young kid that was working in the back, this junior high kid that... He had to work in the shoe store because his mom and dad really had abandoned him. He, went, he didn't have much to offer. You know, on just a few cents he made every week in the back of his shoe store, it's basically what he lived on as a junior high kid. But he was so overwhelmed that somebody would go to the length to go all the way to the back of a shoe store and the stock room to meet him in the downtown of Chicago. He was so overwhelmed by that that he couldn't believe how much somebody would love him that it was right there that Edward Kimball led that young man to the Lord, prayed the sinner's prayer with him in the back of that shoe store, and it was there that that young man surrendered his life to the Lord. Now, this is a name many of us will know. It's Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody, and he started Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. He became one of the most powerful evangelists and ministers of his modern era. He would reach people. The, the, the stories go that he was so full of the power and the presence of God that when he would even walk into the factories and the industries where in the towns where he was having crusades and meetings, as he would walk into the factory, that the workers would hit their knees and call out the name of Jesus because the presence of God was so powerful around the life of a young kid who worked in the back of a shoe store where he surrendered his life. Well, as, as the story continues to go further, under, under D.L. Moody's life, uh, there was a kid named Frederick B. Myers that gave his life to the Lord. Under Frederick B. Myers' life, uh, ministry, there was a man named Wilbur Chapman that gave his life to the Lord. Under Wilbur Chapman's ministry, there was a man named Billy Sunday that surrendered his life to the Lord. 
Billy Sunday was a powerful evangelist that traveled up and down the East Coast and around the world and would hold crusades and meetings. He was having meetings in, uh, in North Carolina and uh, was holding a massive crusade, a tent meeting, and so many people were saved by the thousands. It changed the town upside down. Workers started showing up to work on time. People started coming home. Husbands started going home to their wives. There was love and joy. The business owners found it so beneficial, and they, their, their, their wealth and their increase uh, changed so much and got for the better that they called Billy Sunday up. They said, listen, Billy, we want you to come back as soon as you can. Billy's calendar was, was, was packed tight. He wasn't able to go. And so he sent somebody that was under his ministry by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham goes and is holding these crusades in North Carolina. It wasn't going as well. They were going well. Some people were being saved, but it wasn't as like impactful as maybe what was happening with Billy Sunday. But one of the meetings that was happening in this tent Mordecai Ham is preaching the call of salvation, the plan of salvation, and there's a kid that's sitting around the back, right? He's just kind of like lingering back here. He's in the back because he came because there was a girl singing in the choir, right? So he's kind of like checking things out, right? He kind of eases his way around. And as Mordecai Ham is preaching the message, this young man begins to listen about the good news of Jesus Christ. As this young man begins to step around where he came for a girl, but all of a sudden he's receiving Jesus. Mordecai Ham gives the call for salvation, and that young man steps out of the shadows and comes and kneels and gives his life to the Lord, and I know you're gonna know this name. It was Dr. Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist that's ever lived on planet Earth. And it all started because somebody cared enough to go talk to a kid in the back of a stockroom of a shoe store in Chicago. So you don't realize what your life can do. You don't realize the impact you can make. You wanna talk about souls to save? You wanna talk about being saved? Listen, it's, it's being forgiven from the past, it's a freedom for the present, and it's a fire to move forward and the destiny and the plans and the purpose that God has for us. Listen to me, there is no doubt in my mind, there is a huge foundation of faith that has been laid here in Freedom Valley, and I got news for you, God would not allow a foundation this large to be built and then, and then, then think, they think we're gonna put a teepee on top of it. There's more. There's more. I believe you and every one of your family members, everyone in your household, every one of your coworkers, listen to me, when we move forward in the grace of God, it will be unstoppable in Jesus' name. I believe Freedom Valley Church will be unstoppable in the name of Jesus Christ if we would allow God to forgive us of our past, be free in the present, and have a fire to move forward in the destiny and the plan that God has for us in Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I don't know where you are in your life today. I don't know all that's happening in your life. We're gonna see amazing miracles and signs and wonders happen around this place tonight. It's gonna to be awesome. But the greatest of them all is to say, Tim, I need freedom in the present. I need forgiveness from the past. And I wanna be able to move forward in what God has for me. This is what it means to receive grace. If all you ever do is forgiven of the past and you're not free in the present, you haven't received grace. If you have been forgiven in the past and you're free in the present, but yet you're not moving forward, 
I'm not sure you really have the grace of God because God's grace is so good. It just propels you. He, he just, it moves you forward. But it all starts first with allowing the Lord to forgive you of your past. This is what it means to be saved. Saved from certainty of life away from God in hell forever and forever and forever. I'm not here to be morbid or anything like that, but here's the reality of it. Everybody's gonna live forever. The question is where? And this is your moment. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you think you are, we all need God's grace. We've all fallen short. If you're here today and say, Tim, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, here's what we're gonna do over these next few moments. Listen, I'm simply gonna give you an opportunity to respond, an opportunity to say yes. Because for too long, everybody's been telling you no. You've been saying no to everybody else. Listen to me today. Jesus is standing here with you today. His presence is in this room. I know we can't always see what's happening, but I'm telling you right now, the presence of God is in this house. And if you're here today and say, Tim, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, this is going to be your moment right now. I'm simply going to count to three, not to trick us or anything like that, but to bring us to a point of decision. Every race starts with ready, set, go. So this is your moment. Begin to move forward in the new lease on life God has for you. You are, you are forgiven of the past, you're free to live now, and God is going to give you a fire to move forward in the plans he has for you. Stop wandering around the world aimlessly, wondering whether or not there's a reason you're alive. I got news for you, there's a reason you're alive. God loves you, and he wants to display his love in you and through you. If you're here today and say, Tim, I need to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm gonna give you the chance right now. Simply gonna to count to three and you say, Tim, I need, to, I need to surrender my life to the Lord. Listen to me, if you've never done this before, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you're not following God now, come on, let's shore things up. If life were to end, Jesus were to come back, would you spend eternity in heaven or not? That's the question. If the answer's no or the answer's not sure, you better get sure right now. I'm gonna to count to three, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. And when I say three, you say, Tim, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Raising your hand isn't gonna save you. But listen, what we'll do is after people are gonna celebrate and give you a proper welcome into the family of God, I'm just gonna tell you everything we're gonna do, all right? After people do that, I'm gonna inv actually invite you after that's all done, I'm gonna invite you to come. I'm gonna stand here on the floor and we all are gonna pray a prayer together. That prayer will not save you. Raising your hand doesn't save you. Praying that prayer doesn't save you. But the one we pray to does and his name is Jesus because he's listening. He hasn't been far and distant. He's been waiting for you to say yes this whole time. If you're here today and say, Tim, I need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Step none, so I'm gonna count to three and ask you to raise your hand right where you are just to say, yes, I need him. I can guarantee you this, everybody that is going to live in heaven forever will have made this same decision. This is for you right now. Say, Tim, I need to make a decision to follow Jesus. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand up as high as you can. One, two, come on, if it's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. Three, come on, is there anybody? We'll wait on you, we'll wait on you, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We serve a good God in this house. We serve a good God, don't we? What a faithful God we serve. Come on, everybody in the room, if you're watching online, you're listening later on in the podcast, come on, you can pray this prayer with us right now. Come on, everybody in the room, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus. Oh, come on, say it out loud. Say, Jesus, I admit that I need you. I believe that you are God. 
and I confess you as the Lord of my life. From this day on, I will trust the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, come on, give God a big shout in this house this morning. Now look, here's what I'm going to do. These guys are going to start singing here in just a few moments to bring us to a close. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. There's something powerful about physically responding. And what I mean by that is if you're in the house today and say, Tim, you know what? I've been forgiven of the past, but I've stayed there. I've allowed the things of the past to label me and limit me and keep me from what God has for me. I'm going to give you an opportunity in this house, in this safe place. This is safe. You know that, right? This is a safe place. I want you to say, Tim, you know what? I need the freedom of God. And as we begin to sing, I want to invite you to come and stand here with me and worship the Lord and enjoy his freedom in the present right now. And as we live in his freedom, I believe God is going to pour out his fire in our life and push us forward in the destiny that he has for us. You have a destiny. You have a, pro listen, you have an amazing plan in God's book. If we would just say yes to him today. How many are in the room today and say, Tim, I'm saved. I know I am. When I die, I know I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, but I've been living in the past. I've been stuck. I need to move forward. I, I need freedom right now. I need freedom in my life. If that's you, come on. Would you lift your hand right where you are in the room and say, Tim, today, I need the freedom of Jesus Christ. That's it. Come on, lift it high. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, if you're here today and say, Tim, I'm ready to move forward. Come on, if you're in the room today and say, I am ready to move forward. Come on, if that's you, come on, lift your hand right where you are in this house. Say, Tim, I'm ready to move forward. Come on, if your hand is up as we begin to sing, come on, would you step out of your chair and make your place right down here? I'm going to stand with you this morning. We're going to worship the Lord together on just the next few moments. We're about finished today. But say, Tim, you know what? I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to surrender to him. I'm going to give him the glory and the honor that's due his name. Come on, if you have your hand raised, come on, would you step out right where you are and join me here for a few moments? Let's worship God together in this house. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you, Lord. Yeah. Oh, come on, worship God in this house. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. House. Go ahead, guys. Come on, let's sing to the Lord. Let's worship Him this morning. Speak to me when the silence steals my voice. You understand me. Oh, come on, lift your voice to the Lord. Lift your heart to the Lord in this house.
want to encourage you with this today. Some of us assume that we receive grace dependent upon our performance. Grace is not dependent upon anything we can do. It's based upon who we are. Maybe better stated, whose we are. It's not based upon performance. It's based upon paternity. You are a son and daughter of God. His grace is good enough. His grace is good enough. Let me say this again. His grace is good enough for you. And this morning, I'm going to pray. Candace is going to come and close us out. But can I tell you something? God has not done with you. What you think has disqualified you from moving forward, listen, oftentimes the beauty of grace is held within the scars. When Jesus appeared to the, uh, those who were walking on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, he proved who he was by showing him his hands and his scars, his side. Those scars in your life prove the grace of God. You made it. You made it. God is perfecting you. He's readying you for the amazing prize of the promise of Jesus Christ. God's not done with you. God hasn't brought Freedom Valley this far to stop now. He's not, he's not, listen, he hasn't, he hasn't brought you this far just for this. I mean, this is awesome. This is great. The Ebo, I mean, that's cool. God's got more. God has more. God has more. I'm going to get you to engage. God has more. God has more. God has more. Lord, I thank you today for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that you're with us, that you're our ever-present help in time of need. Lord, I thank you that you're the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. God, you're the one who was. That's why you can forgive me of my past. You're the one who is. That's why you give me the freedom to live now. And God, you're the one who is to come. You are my promise. You are my future. You are my hope. You are the fire that burns inside of me today. God, I thank you that you're with me now. God, I thank you that you're moving me forward. I thank you, God, you're not finished with me. Lord, I thank you just when I think I don't have any self to give, when I'm empty in and of myself. It's in my moment of weakness, God, that when I decrease, you increase. It's when I have nothing less to give, God, that you fill me up with who you are. So, God, I thank you today for your grace. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your freedom. And, God, I thank you for the fire you have in the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn towards you and give you peace and give you grace. In Jesus' name.